0: have a Bible, find the book of Mark, Mark, and we're going to be in chapter number 11, Mark chapter 11. And uh, if you've been here for the past few weeks, we've been looking at some of the main events from the life of Jesus that lead up to the crucifixion and the resurrection. Uh, last week we looked at what was called the Lord's Supper and, or the Last Supper where Jesus and his disciples gather together for this Jewish holiday called Passover. They have a meal together and it's in that meal where Jesus, uh, Jesus kind of takes a different direction than they were all expecting uh, and he takes bread and he takes wine and he goes through communion and really for the very first time. Uh, And so it is this beautiful moment, there's so much symbolism and history intertwined with this moment that we know of as the Last Supper. And it's really helpful, I think, to look at that, to understand communion and the the church now and why we take communion and what this looks like and all of that stuff. And so uh, if you missed that message last week, you can watch that on our website. Uh, All of our sermons are on our websites and you can check those out. But that would just be, that's a helpful thing, especially if you come from a different uh, tradition or a different denominational background than what this church really is it will it's helpful to understand communion a little bit and the why we do things the way we do and we know that most of the most of our church is filled up with people who um, were from different type of backgrounds and so we just are aware of that so check that out it's such a good thing today though is officially palm sunday Alright, I so thought, thought at least one of you would have known that by now, but no, I'm just kidding. I kind of set you up in a bad way. But today is Palm Sunday, and Palm Sunday celebrates an event in the life of Jesus that is known as the Triumphal Entry, where the Sunday before he is crucified, Jesus is crucified on a Friday, the Sunday before, Jesus and his disciples walk into the city of Jerusalem, and Jesus rides this donkey, and there's just this this situation that happens of celebration and all of that Uh, and there's so much to this there's so much depth and so much we can't even really get to in the time we have today but we're going to look at this right here Uh, and some of the questions that come up are like how on how on the Sunday before how is why is everybody celebrating and screaming and worshiping And five days later, they're going to kill him. What is the deal with this and what's going on? And that's a little bit what we're going to look at. So with all that in mind, let's start by reading our story together from the Gospel of Mark. So stand with me all over this place. What's a good church service without standing up and sitting down a few times, right? Yeah, there we go. Uh, But Mark chapter 11, and we're going to start reading with verse number one, and you can follow along with me on the screen as I read. So here's what it says. It says, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. Let's Let's pray together as we start. God, will you you enlighten us and show us things here from your very word that that bring understanding, that bring change, uh, God, to the way we think, the way we act, uh, help us, move us, change us, God, we pray. Uh, But Lord, more than anything else, we just pray that you would be glorified even in this place that this would not be about our agendas and our expectations, God, but that we would just worship you. And so we thank you, God. We need you so much. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, give somebody a high five and have a seat. (coughs) All right, kind of a rowdy bunch today. Well, to set up the story for today, I want to take you through a three-minute journey of what is called the Old Testament part of the Bible. The Bible, if you if you don't know very much about the Bible, the Bible is actually made up of 66 individual books uh, written by about 40 different people. It covers a period of about 1,600 years. Uh, the period that is, the part of the Bible that is before the life of Jesus is reter- referred to as the Old Testament. Uh, Jesus' birth and on from the Bible, it's called the New Testament, so we have kind of this split in the middle, and uh, there's a gap of about 400 years, or a little bit over, between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. What does that mean? Uh, The Old Testament, for the most part, tells the story of the Jewish people throughout history, uh, people, different people that came, and different events in history. It is a historical uh, bunch of literature, and it's incredible and fantastic in so many different ways. So what that means is that the Old Testament ends about 425 years. Before the time of Jesus being born. So there's this gap that we have in history. Now we do know some of what happened in that gap, even though it's not in the Bible, because there are other historical writings that we can that we can turn to. One of those, uh, and probably the most probably the biggest well-known event from this pre-Jesus time period was from a Jewish, is about a Jewish warrior known as Judas Maccabeus, sometimes called Maccabee, okay? Now, let me tell you his story here really quick because it's going to play into what we're seeing with Jesus and uh, walking down the streets and all that, okay? Alexander the Great Uh, Conquered much of that area about 300 years before the time of Jesus. And this combined kingdom was really the result. We had the Greeks, the Macedonians, we had the Syrians, uh, the Assyrians, all of this kind of gathered together and became one thing uh, under Alexander the Great. They began to spread and conquer, and you can read history on that. It's actually pretty fascinating stuff. Well, over the years, eventually that made its way all the way to Israel. And all the way to Jerus- Jerusalem, specifically. I always say that word wrong. Jerusalem. There we go. I get Bethlehem, and I say Jerusalem instead. So I'm sorry about that. If you can, if I do that again, just laugh at me because it's not supposed to be that way. All right. But uh, so they walk into the city here, and they take and they take it over, and they go into the Jewish temple, which is like the biggest, most important place in all of the Jewish religion, and they begin to take out all of the Jewish stuff, and they replace it with Greek statues and Greek gods, and everything is like that, okay? And so this is what happens in in history. Well, long story made, like, a little bit longer, I guess is what we'll say it. 200 years before Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, Judas Maccabee, this Jewish leader, leads this guerrilla-style army and defeats the Syrian army right there. All right, And not only did he defeat the Syrian king, but he goes in and they cleanse the Jewish temple of all of the Greek junk, and they reestablish proper worship right there. This event does not appear in our Bible, uh, but for the Jewish people, this is a significant event in their history. In fact, a Jewish holiday was created to remember this event, and you may have heard of it, may have heard of it. It's Hanukkah. Interesting, huh? So the the Jewish people have Hanukkah to celebrate what Judas Maccabee did when he went into Jerusalem and he rid the temple of all of that stuff. Now here's where we connect all of this to this morning and Jesus riding on this donkey because there is a famous moment that happened from the story of Judas Maccabee winning this great battle for Israel where Judas Maccabee rides into Jerusalem in victory. He's riding this great war horse and he's surrounded by his army and the people stood on the side of the road waving ivy and palm branches and singing hymns of praise as Judas marched in. Okay, Now understand this is a military leader being recognized and celebrated by the people for what he did. And they celebrated him by waving palm branches, shouting and worshiping all together. 200 years before Jesus, okay? Well, uh, and Mr. Maccabee started a royal dynasty that would actually last about 100 years in, uh, in Jewish history there. Well, their freedom is kind of short-lived for the Jewish people. And by the time Jesus is born... Rome has entered the picture, Rome is now the superpower of their day, and the good news for Israel is that Rome doesn't doesn't really care about their Jewish religion, and so Rome doesn't come in and really do anything to the temple, and Rome allows them to continue worshiping, so that was a big difference in history right there. The bad news is, is that the Jewish people lived almost their entire lives with Roman soldiers on their streets and forced taxes to be paid to Caesar, Okay? Big picture here, the Jewish people are still waiting for this promised Messiah. Seven, eight, nine hundred years before Jesus, the Old Testament is filled with these what's called messianic prophecies of of the Messiah would one day come and he's going to whatever, and it lists off all the, over and over and over. We see this. The Messiah is going to come to save the people. That's what we have. Well, at around 30 years old now, Jesus begins what's called his public ministry, and what that means is uh, we really don't have anything between the age of about 12 and 30 in the life of Jesus, and at about 30, he begins to teach publicly. He begins to do miracles, feed 5,000 people with the loaves and the fish, he begins to heal people. Okay, all these supernatural things begin to happen. That's called the public ministry of Jesus. And this public ministry of Jesus goes on for somewhere around 18 months to three years. It's debated among scholars and different things, okay? Uh, but now we get to the very end. In fact, this Palm Sunday is considered to be the end of Jesus' public ministry of that 18 to three, 18 months to three year period where he did all of that type of stuff. Uh, and we get to the very end, the final week, and Uh, and if you've been here the past few weeks, we, we, we've been talking a little bit about how there are four different books of the Bible that tell the story of Jesus. We call them the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Two of the four were written by, uh, by disciples of Jesus who were with him. They would have been at the triumphal entry and then they write about that The other two actually were, they take research and they interview people and then they write their accounts, uh, much later and all of that. Okay. Uh, But all four of the the Gospels, all four of these accounts include and and add the story of Palm Sunday. And that is kind of rare in the story of Jesus. There's not very many events that show up in all four. Uh, The triumphal entry is one of those, even though there are slight differences given between, okay? And so all of that was a setup. For now, we're going to get into the story here. Does that sound like a good idea? Yeah, there we go. All right. so again, this is Mark chapter 11, and let's just talk through, we're going to read through this again, piece by piece, talk through this, and just figure out a little bit what's happening in our story. So here's what it says, As they approached Jerusalem, and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here." If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. Now, a couple things here. So already, Jesus has spent most of his life uh, and most of even his ministry, his public ministry, 80 to 90 miles north of Jerusalem, all right? Uh, Up around what's called the Sea of Galilee. I'm gonna show you a map here in a second. But uh, like many Jews uh, from all, from all over, Jesus and his disciples make the trip down to Jerusalem for Passover. We talked about that last week. It's just, it's probably the biggest Jewish holiday on the calendar, and and people would have come to the city uh, of David, it was Jerusalem, for this. That's where the Jewish temple was, and they would travel. So understand that that city would. Uh, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of people that would would come all at once to this city is what we have, okay? And Jesus and his disciples were some of them. We have a few different places mentioned here. We have Jerusalem, Bethpage, Bethany, and then the Mount of Olives. In fact, put that map up on the screen for me, <laughs> and let's quickly just talk about a couple of those places, okay? So you can see Jerusalem, it's kind of in bold. The Sea of Galilee up north, that's where Jesus was was from, uh, he lived most of his life, Nazareth, right around that area, about 90 miles, 80 miles south, straight to Jerusalem, okay? Now, uh, what we, what the cities we have mentioned are Bethpage and Bethany, um, and then we also have the Mount of Olives mentioned, and uh, so just understand a couple things. Bethany was a place that Jesus visited often because he had some great friends that lived there. Bethany was the home of Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus. And so often we see Jesus stopping there, staying with them. In fact, Lazarus, that brother, is the Lazarus that Jesus raised from the dead. A significant moment about a month before all of this is taking place. And so our story here tells us that Jesus was staying with Mary and Martha, in Bethany, and they make this journey, which is just a few miles. They walk from Bethany through Bethpage and into Jerusalem. Now, we also have the Mount of Olives mentioned. The Mount of Olives is on the uh, the east side of Jerusalem. It is this massive hill slash small mountain, however you want to talk about it. For us in Minnesota, we would call it a mountain, because we don't have a whole lot of hills around here. If you're in Colorado, you wouldn't call it a mountain, all right? But it's, it's this, this, this high altitude, and there are olive trees covering this entire thing. Side note, at the base of the Mount of Olives is the Garden of Gethsemane, which we're going to see come up in the story of Jesus, and we'll see that on Good Friday, all right? But that's not what's happening here. And so Jesus... Uh, they, they are making their way into Jerusalem. They are walking from Bethany Jerusalem, and Jesus tells two of his disciples to go to the village ahead of them. This is probably Bethpage. And you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. That's what we have in our story. Now Mark, which is what we read, only says the word colt. And if you did not have the rest of the Gospels, the other accounts of this, we would assume that it's a horse, a uh, colt. But specifically in Matthew, uh, in his account, he very specifically tells us that Jesus asked for a young donkey. All right, and then actually Matthew adds this, and I want to show you this. Uh, This is uh, Matthew chapter 21. It says, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Understand, this is written by Zechariah in the Old Testament hundreds of years before Jesus we have the Messiah is going to come into Zion, which is Jerusalem, riding on the colt of a donkey. That's a prophecy that happens. Back to Mark, verse 4. They went and found the colt outside in the street, tied it at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus, and threw their cloaks over it. He sat on it. They just go get the donkey. Everything is just how Jesus had said. We don't know if this if this was prearranged by Jesus or if this is some sort of miraculous thing that happens. We're not really given any sort of detail. We just know Jesus says, go get, there's a donkey over there. They go get it and everything, and they bring it back to him. The disciples put their coats or their cloaks on this little donkey, and Jesus sits on top of it. That's where we're at. Verse 8 Many people spread their cloaks on the road. Okay, so now we get the picture of Jesus riding this in to the city uh, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Now that's the scene. Now, now understand. Thousands and thousands of people are in the city right now, and Jesus rides in on this colt of a donkey, and the people begin to kind of show up, and they see this happening. The disciples are all there as well, and they begin to shout praises and words and, and things as Jesus is riding, and then they begin to take uh, it, it says they took their cloaks and put them down, and they spread branches they had cut from, from the field and all of that, shouts, waving branches, laying cloaks, on, okay? And so this is the story, this is the atmosphere that we have. Now, Now, quickly here, let me give you three observations from, from this story. Three observations. Write these down if you're taking notes, okay? Um, number one, And this is going to be kind of interesting thing to talk about. Jesus here actually publicly declares himself as king and messiah in this story. He publicly declares himself as king and messiah. Now earlier we talked about Jesus and his public ministry. Healing people, teaching people, doing miracles, all that type of stuff. We, we see that over and over. For the most part, in that season of Jesus' life, what we see is a consistent theme where Jesus says, be quiet about this. Don't tell anyone who I am. And behind the scenes, Jesus would gather his disciples and he would talk to them about the kingdom of God and what's coming. But in public, he was constantly just like, don't say it. Don't do this. At one point, Jesus heals or uh, Jesus feeds 5,000 people and it says the crowd wants to make him king. And Jesus like disappears. I'm not even, I'm not saying he like, like, vanished but he somehow sneaks away or something and is gone why because for jesus everything was about timing and he knows and understands that if he is now like named messiah that everything is going to happen much quicker than it's supposed to okay this right here though is the first time really that jesus goes public with it all he goes public he, like, he tells the disciples to go get this donkey, and he, Jesus himself sits on the donkey. You understand that? He, go, he tells them that they're not like, Jesus, we should go get you a donkey. Jesus is like, go get me the donkey, okay? And then they bring the donkey, and they don't say to him, Jesus, you should really sit on the donkey. No, Jesus sits on the donkey, and Jesus rides the thing into the city. What are we saying here? Jesus knows the prophecy from the past, that this would happen, and Jesus in this moment is publicly declaring himself as Savior, as Messiah, and as King. Now, Jesus also knows that, that this very event right here is going to lead to him being killed, okay? So understand what he's doing here, but this is an interesting thing that we have where Jesus is kind of making himself public right here. He publicly declares himself King and Messiah. I'm going to skip that verse uh, Nathan and go to number two, okay? Number two, uh, number two is this the people misunderstood Jesus as king and Messiah. The people misunderstood Jesus as king and Messiah. What do I mean by that? And here's where we really start to figure out what's happening in this situation, and we're going to see this kind of transition in, and become very applicable to us today, okay? The people had a Different understanding and idea of what King and Messiah would mean for them. They did not understand this at all. They did not understand the situation. They were picturing a different kind of Savior. They they were thinking freedom from captivity of Rome, not freedom from their sins. They were picturing a military leader... On a, like a king on a war horse, Jesus comes in on a colt of a donkey. They're imagining royal robes and all of this. Jesus rides in on the clothes of the poor and the humble. This is very different. They are thinking Judas Maccabee here. That's the picture. They know their history. They celebrate that history every single year. And they know the story. Uh, they cry out, Hosanna. The word Hosanna simply means, please save us. Or the one who saves us. In in this setting, Hosanna is clearly a word used with the Messiah, by the way. They're not saying, Hosanna, save us from our sins, though. Like, understand this. They're saying, Hosanna, save us from Rome. They're thinking King David, the most well-known, well-loved king of Israel, a king who was incredible in battle. And did so much for the Jewish people. And for a thousand years, the Jewish people had been praying for a king to come like King David. The crowd even yells, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. They yell that phrase right there. Understand, everything in this story points to a misunderstanding in the people of of Jesus as king and messiah. They misunderstood what this was about and all of this leads to our third observation and that is this, the people weren't actually worshiping Jesus, they were worshiping their expectations of Jesus, of who he, they thought he was and what, and what they assumed he was going to do for them. Now, so don't miss this right here. At the surface level, the triumphal entry seems to be a story filled with people worshiping Jesus. They're shouting Hosanna. They're laying down their coats. They're waving palm branches in the air. Their mouths are filled with what seems like worship. But don't miss this. Their hearts were not there. Their hearts were not in the right spot with this. Okay, See, their misunderstanding of Jesus. Come back to me if you're taking a nap. This is important right here. Okay, Their misunderstanding of Jesus and who he was and what he came to do And their underlying agendas and expectations of the coming Messiah prevented authentic worship. They had a misunderstanding of the situation and they came into this moment with underlying agendas and expectations. And so their worship was farce. Their worship was not legit. See, their their me got in the way of their worship they shouted, they responded, they did the stuff, but at the root of it all was what is this man going to do for me? And what we see in this story is when Jesus fails to meet their expectations, they quickly turn on him. Quickly turn don't like don't miss this. This is Sunday. And so they Like, in a few days, their cries of Hosanna would turn to cries of crucify him. How? What in the world is going on here? Like, from our perspective, we see the end of this story. And we know that Jesus came to to accomplish so much more, and his plans are far greater than any of their expectations. They were looking for a savior from Rome, or... But Jesus came as a savior for their sins. They're looking for someone to rescue them politically. Jesus came to rescue people forever. Mm. Music team, will you please come? Now, here's kind of the takeaway. And here's where we bring this a little bit and point it at ourselves. And I guess I'll just start with more of a question of what, what places in our lives and specifically our worship, have become me-focused. Like, where we bring our expectations and we bring our agendas to Jesus instead of just authentically worshiping him. Like, this is not how it should work. Authentic worship comes before a perfect God and we lay down all of our expectations and we lay down all of our agendas, and we say, God, here I am, you can have me. The people weren't worshiping Jesus, they were worshiping something else. And I'm telling you, like just across across America today, churches just like this one are, are filled with people whose worship is tied to what they expect from Jesus in a way, their agendas, and, and I'm just here to tell you, Jesus, Jesus is not a genie in a lamp. Jesus is not Santa Claus. You, you don't show up to Jesus with your Christmas list. That's not how this is supposed to work. Jesus didn't just come to make our lives better. Jesus came to fulfill the plan and the agenda of his father. Please stand with me all over this place. Let me try to say this in just one other quick way. Our lives, our lives are meant to bring glory to God in everything that we do and everywhere that we go. That is why we are alive, that God would be glorified in our lives and in our families and in our church and even around the nations. That's what this is supposed to look like. And yet we as Christians often make this about God, what are you going to do for me? God, what's in this for me? And when that becomes the initial, the number one, then I'm telling you, as soon as things begin to go wrong in your life, you will begin to question everything you know and have come to believe about God. And I can't tell you the amount of times that people just like you have been sitting in our services right here until something significantly tragic happens in their life and God goes out the window because pastor, it just isn't working. And if your life as a Christian is built on God, what are you going to do for me and how are you going to serve me and my needs, that is going to crumble. The root of it all must be, Jesus, you deserve the glory. You deserve everything that I am. My life is an offering poured out before you. Now, here's the cool part. When we put that at the bottom, okay? And and Jesus even said, seek first the kingdom of God, all the rest will be added on. When we put that at the foundation of it all, all of these other things now begin to come into the picture. And we begin to see and know God in a beautiful way, and he provides for our needs when that happens, and all of those things come in, okay? It's a, do you understand what I'm saying here? It's an order issue. God, we just humbly come before you today. A God that loves us so much. A God that has done so much for us. God, but I pray that that really at the root of all of this, our worship and our Christianity would not be just focused on all of that, but that we would just stand in awe of a perfect and a holy God. We worship you, God, and I pray, even in this moment, that you would fill our minds with the different ways, God, that we have made all of this about our own agendas and our own expectations and, God, the things that we think this should be and how this should work. And I pray that all of those things would just be brought to your feet and that we would say, God, you are in control and you know best and, God, you have my life and my heart. Teach us to do that, God. Show us what that looks like. Change us and change our hearts. Even in this season, God, as we remember and reflect on what you did on that cross, Jesus, we thank you, God, in your name we pray. Before we go, uh, we, we always want to just give people an opportunity to, to possibly respond to the message of Jesus, even for the very first time. Uh, we're a church that just believes in this beautiful personal decision that a person makes. To put their trust in Jesus. We, we do baptism and, and we love that type of stuff, but uh, we don't believe that a person is made right with God by being baptized or confirmed or that stuff. Uh, we believe that there's just this moment in, in each one of us where we accept this beautiful gift that God has given us. Uh, and, and maybe you're here today and you would say, I have never accepted this gift Uh, the gift of salvation that is talked about in the Bible and with no one looking around every eye closed and head bowed just for a time of privacy and reflection for a moment who here in this place would just simply say today is my day I want to receive this gift of salvation and forgiveness that, that God offers and he freely gives if that's you will you just show me your hand just show me your hand thank you thank you Thank you. You can put your hands down. If you're watching this on a screen right now, you know, you, you can respond to this as well. This is a, a heart thing between you and God. Anyone else for just a moment? And church, let's, let's just kind of close our service today by saying a, pray, a prayer together. Everyone in this place, let's just pray. Pray, Father God, Father God I, give I give you my life. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for me, forgive me of my sins, and change my life. In your name I pray, amen, amen. Come on, can we just celebrate what God is doing today?